The text tonight is in 2 Corinthians chapter number 8. 2 Corinthians 8, we're going to read verse 1 down to verse number 9, and this is a very uh, wonderful set of uh, verses we're going to look at. Uh, if you have your place in your Bible, you're welcome to stand in honor of God's Word tonight. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 1 down to verse number 9. The Bible says, Moreover, brethren, we do you to wit of the grace of God bestowed on the churches of Macedonia, how that in a great trial of affliction, the abundance of their joy and their deep poverty abounded unto the riches of their liberality or their generosity. He said, for to their power or ability, I bear record, yea, and beyond their powers, they were willing of themselves, praying us with much entreaty that we would receive the gift and take upon us the fellowship of the ministering to the saints. And this they did not as we hoped, but first gave their own selves to the Lord and unto us by the will of God, insomuch that we desired Titus that as he had begun, so he would also finish in you the same grace also. Therefore, as you abound in everything, in faith, in utterance, in knowledge, and in diligence, and in your love to us, see that you abound in this grace also. I speak not by commandment, but by occasion of the forwardness of others, and to prove the sincerity of your love. And then if you'd read verse 9 with me. For ye know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that ye through his poverty might be rich. Father, we thank you for your word tonight. As we come to it, may we come with humble hearts, open minds, that we would be teachable to receive the truths of your word. May you implant these truths in us and bring forth fruit of generosity. May we see what you've given to us as a way to serve you. And I pray you would bless the church here. Help us to be a Macedonian-hearted church, that you would be glorified in our lives. We ask it in Jesus' name, and God's people said, Amen. Man, you may be seated this evening. Well, 2 Corinthians, as we have been navigating through throughout this year, is the most personal letter that the Apostle Paul has ever written, recorded in Scripture. And just by a sweeping overview of 2 Corinthians, chapter 1 through 7, is Paul defending his character. He had rebuked the church at Corinth. They had repented. And we just finished up last week, chapter 7, where there was joy and comfort restored in that relationship because it had been reconciled through a biblical confrontation. When you get to chapter 8 and 9, there is a transition to taking up a collection for the poor saints in Jerusalem. Uh, And Paul is requesting from the church at Corinth and acts as an ambassador to seek aid for that suffering church at Jerusalem. And so this is really, these two chapters uh, are the most uh, weighty chapters in the Bible dealing with the grace of giving. And then in chapter 10 through 12, Paul returns to defending his credentials uh, as he validates his ministry. Uh, You might think, like, why would he seek to defend himself? Well, because he wrote 13 books of the New Testament. I mean, if Paul's disqualified, then the New Testament's disqualified, right? So the assault on Paul is an assault on the Scripture, because he was a pen that God was using. So Paul is defending his credentials because he wants to defend the Scriptures. And, and, and so we'll see that, and it's, and it's a very wonderful section in chapter 10 through 12. So uh, I'm excited in these last five chapters that we're going to navigate through. But here in chapter 8 9 give us some great insights into the biblical pattern of giving and how we should view giving in the church. 
Now, uh, giving in the New Testament was done through the local church. Uh, you know, and, and, and I tell people it's okay if there's parachurch organizations that you support at some level, but your primary support should be through the local church. God didn't come to create parachurch organizations. He came to build his church. You believe that? Uh, Jesus said, I've come to build my church and the gates of hell should not prevail against it. And uh, I know sometimes people give to things like they have a TV, somebody, and they're sending money. But the question is, will that pastor on that TV ever come and visit you if you're in the hospital? Or will that church body minister to you and care for you and do your funerals and weddings and so forth? Uh, you'll never hear from them probably, and there's nothing wrong with supporting them. But that should always be secondary to the primary care of the ministry of the local church. Uh, and so giving in the New Testament was done to first support the ministers uh, that were caring for them. First Corinthians 9, Paul writes about this and he talks about God's design for those who minister the gospel. I had a guy a few years ago, he was debating with me, says, you know, pastors should never get paid. There's no biblical precedence for that. And I said, have you ever read your Bible? Uh, but 1 Corinthians 9, uh, and again, this is a weird thing because I'm a pastor and I'm not trying to defend. I'm not, I don't want to raise. I don't need it. And so, but listen to 1 Corinthians 9, really most of that chapter is dealing with this. But Paul says, do you not know that they which minister about holy things live of the things of the temple? And so in the Old Testament, the priest ministered in the temple, the Levitical priests, the Levites, that whole tribe served the Lord in the temple and uh, they were partakers of what was given. And so it says, they that wait at the altar are partakers with the altar. And he says, even so hath the Lord ordained that they which preach the gospel should live of the gospel. And he goes on and speaks about that. First Timothy five seventeen says, let the elders, that's another word for pastors or bishops that rule well be counted worthy of double honor or really double pay, especially they that labor in the word and doctrine. I just, I'm, the only reason I'm telling you that is to show you that there was, uh, that was one of the things that they were giving to in the church. Another thing they were doing was supporting missions. Philippians 4, 15 through 17 says, Now ye Philippians know also that in the beginning of the gospel, uh, when I departed from Macedonia, no church communicated with me as concerning giving and receiving, but ye only. And he goes on and talks about how generous the Philippian church was in supporting his ministry. The church at Philippi was one of the Macedonian churches. And so uh, Paul uh, was supported financially uh, when he traveled. Uh, you also see Jesus was supported in John 8. Uh, they gave of them of their substance. In John 8, verse 1 through 4 talks about that. Because <clears throat> you ask, how was Jesus supported? People were giving him of, of, of their possessions. They were housing them and the disciples. And then giving was also done to support the poor in the church. And, and let me say this, the Bible teaches that we are to care for the poor, but first of all, the poor in the local church. Uh, the poor of the local body takes precedence biblically before we can take care of those outside of the church. Does that make sense? That's the biblical pattern, and we've set that up here. Uh, we, we care for people, out, I mean, we, we do meals for, for homeless folks, we, we do different things, uh, but, but first of all, the care has to be those inside of the, the, the church body. And so from the launch of the church on the day of Pentecost, the church at Jerusalem was a poor church. Now, thousands, what happened was on the day of Pentecost, which was 50 days after the resurrection, thousands had come to Jerusalem for the feast of uh, the Pentecost, that feast day. And uh, when Peter got up and preached, there were 3,000 that got saved. But these were Hellenistic Jews, Hellenized Jews or uh, Jews that had molded into a Greek culture, and they had come to Jerusalem. So when they got saved, the only church they could go to was where? 
in Jerusalem. So if you're, if you're going to be part of a church, you've got to be in Jerusalem. And guess what? You had the best guys to teach for you, right? I mean, they're going to say, hey, when I was living with Jesus, this is what he said. This is what he did. I mean, it was all, we was out on the water. I mean, they're, you know, they didn't have the whole New Testament finished. They were preaching the New Testament out of their lips and so in their life. And, and so they, they stayed in Jerusalem. And uh, it's, under, it's important to understand that, the, that there, was a, there was a culture of hospitality. And, and they were used to this. You know, when, when, when the feast of Passover comes, I mean, Israel would grow by like 10 times. The, I mean, just masses of people would come in. Uh, hundreds of thousands of people would come into Jerusalem. So they were used to housing uh, foreigners. Uh, that, was a, that was like an a, a Eastern etiquette that they would have uh, of hospitality. Uh, but this turned into like a long-term hospitality. The inns were really rough to stay in. And so uh, people began to live there. Uh, that's why when you read Acts 2 through 4, what were they doing? They were selling their properties. They were distributing it to the people. They were giving land. Like if they had said, hey, hey, you could come up and set up you know, a place on my property here. I got enough land. And, and, and Christianity was exploding. And, and these people were needing somewhere to live. The distribution was made. Uh, and, and they were giving. And so that was a beautiful display of God's grace there in the early church in Jerusalem. And at first they could handle the massive influx of that. But what happened is persecution continued to grow. Acts 8 talks about where uh, that just continued to explode when persecution. History also records that Jerusalem endured a great earthquake in March 23rd of 37 AD. Uh, there was also a crop failure and Christians in those days uh, were really the poorest and most uh, desperate people as far as it goes financially in that time. And so there was also a famine that hit during that time. Uh, this is a, a recorded in Acts chapter eleven twenty seven. just to give you an idea, a little bit of context of this. It says, and in those days, and these days came prophets from Jerusalem unto Antioch, and there stood up one of them named Agabus, and signified by the Spirit that there should be a great dearth or famine throughout all the world, which came to pass in the days of Claudius Caesar. Then the disciples, every man according to his ability, look what they did. They knew if there's a famine coming, that the saints, because the church had spread out, now they're in Antioch and they're in other places, they knew that, man, those, those Jerusalem Christians are the poorest. I mean, there was a, and, and persecution so heavy. And one reason they were struggling so much is if you have a Jewish boss who rejected Christ, they were losing their jobs. People weren't buying their fish. They were not, it was just, Romans were persecuting them. Rome had set high taxes. So th there was just a lot going against them. So they, it says, they determined to send relief unto the brethren which dwelt in Judea, which also they did and sent it, uh, to the elders by the hands of Barnabas and Saul. Uh, and, and Saul's the Greek name for the Hebrew name Paul. Paul uh, wanted them to receive, re uh, send relief offering to them and help them as uh, they were going to minister to the churches there at Jerusalem. So, so Paul first mentions this uh, to the church at Corinth back in 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 1 through 4. If you have interest to go back and look at that, but, but that's when he first brings up this offering to them. The church had responded how they were going to send a large, generous offering. Well, a year had elapsed and they had not sent it yet. They had filled out their commitment cards, but they had not turned them in. They, they, they said, it's coming, but it, nothing came. And, and so Paul, seeking to provoke them, 
brings up the, um, in a positive way, brings up this incredible example of the Macedonian churches. So Corinth, which was a prideful church in so many ways, he's like, you know what, you guys promised a year ago and I believe you're going to do it. Let me tell you what the Macedonian churches have done. <laughs> and so... Uh, to, to, to encourage them, to edify them. And, and isn't it a blessing when sometimes a pastor gets up and shares a testimony of, of, of something that some man or woman of God has done and what God has done in their life? Or you hear about a martyr, somebody who gave their life for the Lord, and, and it provokes us, doesn't it? It's like, man, that really encourages me to stay faithful, to, to live diligent for the things of God, and, and, it, and it's edifying. So, so the churches of Macedonia are what really take the focus here in, in 2 Corinthians 8. And I'm going to tell you, it's, it's, it's pretty impressive. It's really challenging. So uh, we have a picture I was going to show you just to give you an idea where these Macedonian churches are. So if this is Israel down here. Um, you have Cyprus. This is, this is Paul's missionary journey. You have the city of Corinth over here. Um, Ephesus. Uh, you have Troas. Remember, we went up to Troas to find Titus. You have Thessalonica, Philippi, Berea. The, they were more noble in Berea because they studied the scriptures. You have uh, these are the churches of Macedonia. So south of them is Corinth, and you can see where this was a seaport city. This was just a um, just a, a very prominent place in that day. So. Now, this is, this is the churches of Macedonia Paul's talking about, just to give you an idea where that is. So today I want to look at some things, and I think uh, we could be definitely edified from how can we become a generous church and live as a generous church and follow the example of the Macedonian churches. Now, the, the, there's six things I want to point out uh, tonight from this, these nine verses. Uh, the first thing is uh, we find is in verse number one. He says, uh, and this is an interesting thought, he says, Moreover, brethren... Uh, we do you to wit. You could say it like this. Moreover, brethren, we make known to you the grace of God bestowed on the churches of Macedonia. So uh, the first thing we find there is that giving is something that is produced in us by the grace of God. For you to be a giver is a reflection of grace having taken hold of your heart. It is not natural to be a giver. We are born takers. We are born again to be givers. If you're not familiar with that idea of being born takers, just go down to the toddler room and say, whose toy is that? Yeah, it's mine. They're not like, oh, I think it's his. David, is that yours? No, I think it's Joel's. Oh, yeah, Joel, you, I know it's mine, but you can have it. That's not what kids do. You know, they smack you in the face and take it and... Why cry to your mom later? I mean, that's how they, you know, they're very, very self-focused. This is how kids are. And that's how we all were. You know, and sometimes we can still become that way. So, but in this passage, at least eight times in chapters eight and nine, grace is related to giving. Gr giving is actually called a grace in these passages. Now, when your hand and your life reflect generosity to help others, it reflects God. Because God is generous and benevolent. 
And he wants us to be that way. The reason we are saved today is because of grace. And that same grace that saves us produces fruit in us that becomes uh, honoring and glorifying to God. Adrian Rogers says the best definition of grace that he has ever heard is that God's grace is both the desire and the ability to do the will of God. It's the desire and the ability to do the will of God. We find this in Philippians 2.13. It says, For it is God which worketh in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. God is the one who works in us. It's both we that work, but it's also God that works. And so the grace that saves us is also the grace that enables us to do what we would not do naturally. This is against the human tendency. We go from takers to givers. Because the ultimate giver is now sitting on the throne of our hearts. Now, that in fact is one of the evidences of being saved. You go from being self-focused, taking money-loving mindsets to having an other-focused, giving, God-loving mindset. Grace is what sets us free, not only from sin, but from greed and covetousness. Uh, Think about Luke 19. Remember the little man who went up into the tree? For the Lord, he wanted to, yeah, you know the song. I'm not going to sing it, but you know it. And his name was Zacchaeus. Was a, yeah, we might as well sing it. But little Zacchaeus, right? I bet we're going to get to heaven one day. He's like, really? Could you not come up with a better song than that? <laughs> come on. So the wee little man. Luke 19, verse 8 says, And Zacchaeus stood, and this is after Zacchaeus came to faith in Christ. He confessed Christ as Lord. And it says in verse 8, And Zacchaeus stood and said unto the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. Did Jesus tell him to do that? No. He said, And if I have taken anything from any man by false accusation, I will restore him fourfold. Everybody's like, I think you did take something from me. (laughs) And Jesus said unto him, This day is salvation come to this house for as much as he also is a son of Abraham. Do you see how the Lord's effect of grace that saved him also caused him to have the grace to give? That's exactly what verse 1 is talking about. Do you reflect a generous heart? Would people in your life say you're generous? There are some generous people at Lighthouse. I mean, there are some people that are just so so giving and so kind and so grateful. Uh, are you in that category? Are you, are you a giver? Acts 20, 35. This is, what's interesting about Acts 20, 20 verse 35, it's the, only, it's the only verse in the New Testament, the entire New Testament, that quotes the words of Jesus when he was on earth outside of the Gospels. So the Gospels record the words of Christ while he was on earth. The only verse that records something Jesus said while he was still on earth is Acts 20, 35. Listen to what it says. And I have showed you all things, how that so laboring you ought to support the weak and to remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he said it's more blessed to give than to receive. That is a verse that's not found in the Gospels, but it was said while the Gospels were being written or while that was being lived out, if that makes sense. Do you, do you see that truth? And isn't that the truth? I mean, when you come to, say, the Christmas season, aren't you more excited to see 
the, the, the joy of those you're giving a gift to than, than even opening one yourself? Some of you are like, well, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. But it's, it's a joy to give. It's a joy to minister out. Secondly, the Macedonian church gave in spite of their circumstances. Notice what verse 2 says. It says how, and you say, well, did this church give because they were, uh, they were well off? Were they rich and, and, and blessed and prosperous? Well, look what he says in verse 2. How that in a great trial of affliction, the abundance of their joy and their deep poverty abounded unto the riches of their liberality. <laughs> Paul elevates the amazing example of this sacrificial giving from the churches of Macedonia. Uh, they literally gave in spite of their circumstance. He says... How that in a great trial of affliction, this church, these churches, I should say, in Macedonia were going through persecution themselves. The churches in Berea, Philippi, and Thessalonica were facing the same kind of persecutions that were going on among all Christians in that day. Many Christians lost their jobs. They lost their families. They were physically beaten. The first century persecutions were horrifying under the Romans. Uh, the Jews were greatly persecuting the Christians as well. Um, not only did they face persecution, but it says they were in deep poverty. The word deep there is, is the Greek word bathos. Uh, means deep as being under the surface deep. We actually have the word bathysphere, which is the, 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 the thing that they drop down with a cord out in the ocean and goes thousands of miles deep, uh, bathysphere. It's the idea of something that goes way, way down. Um, and so he's saying uh, in their deep uh, poverty. This is, uh, this is a Greek word that means like abject poverty like extreme poverty, desperation. You're, you are in a destitute situation. Uh, so, so they are in deep poverty. They are in great persecution. So in the face of both persecution and poverty, how did they respond? And, and verse 2 says, they, it abounded unto the riches of their liberality. In, in persecution, they had abundance or literally surplus of joy. It says abundance of their joy and their deep poverty bound into the riches of the liberality. So they first had abundance of joy. The joy uh, is, is a feeling of great pleasure. Kara is the Greek word of inner gladness or delight, an emotion evoked by a sense of well-being, a, a deep feeling of happiness and contentment. So while persecution's going on, uh, they're, they're not downtrodden. They're abundantly joyful. Not a little bit, but a bunch and in spite of their difficult circumstances, the church's joy, joys rose above the pain that they were suffering. Uh, secondly, their riches of their liberality. The word liberality can be translated generosity or sincerity. It is the opposite of being double-minded. They were focused in a united spirit of selfless generosity to God and to others. So here is God's equation the supernatural equation when God's grace takes a hold of a church and a hold of a life. When God's grace is added to a Christian who is facing great persecution and deep poverty, it equals abundant joy and great generosity. That's an incredible thing. Let me ask you, have you allowed the grace of God to produce joy and generosity in your life? Paul is telling us here that we can give in spite of our circumstances. So often Christians wait to give to needful ministries because they wait for things to get better until they have excess. The reality is if you wait to give till you think you have enough, you will never give. You ever had somebody say, we're going we're gonna to wait till we're, we can afford children. 
Did anybody ever find that amount to come in? <laughs> that didn't work out. We just had them, right? And we just kept having them. I mean, one after another. After another. <laughs> so they, uh, they, they should pay us back some of that. And all the parents said, yes, get us some good Christmas gifts. I'm teasing, kind of. But if you wait till you, you have enough money, but, it, but you know what? God provides, doesn't he? God's not like, hey, once you have this amount of money in your savings account, then you can have a child. No, he says, uh, be prosperous, go bless, and let's keep, that, keep them babies coming. We got babies all over this church. But you know, sadly, men never give. They, they, they just never, get in, never are faithful to give. Um, if you want a reason not to give, there's always going to be a reason. The Church of Macedonia, those churches, in sight of persecution, Side of poverty, we're faithful to give in spite of circumstances. Um, I, I thank God that when I was little, my father taught me to be faithful to give. And I can honestly say, I don't know any funds that I've ever had come in that I've not been faithful to tithe off of at least and to give more than that for most of all the income God's ever given to me. And, and, and he's always provided for all those needs. I remember when we were first married and making eight and a half bucks an hour while I was helping my brother start a church in Chillicothe for a couple of years just in poverty. Man, I'd have nothing. People would ask us after church, hey, you want to go out to eat? And I would say, no, that's okay. And I was thinking, I would love to go. <laughs> but I didn't have anything. I didn't have anything. But I never had to borrow money, never had to ask ever any. I never laid on a payment, always had just enough. And you guys, you know what I'm talking about? You have just enough. It was, it was not fun living like that, but uh, I I'm, praise God for that, because when you start a church, you start out with nothing. I mean, nothing. I've been on my face at the altar saying, God, I don't know how we're going to pay these bills. You know, we got electric bills and all this stuff in this building. We were a little church at the time, and, and uh, he always provided. He always provided. He always took care of us, and, and we, we always, we, and now we, we've been so blessed and prosperous, and, and we thank God for that, but um, but if you can be faithful with little, you can be faithful with what? Yeah. But if you can't be faithful with little, you'll squander the lot. So just, just understand that and, and be thankful. If you're in one of those seasons, uh, especially if you're a young couple, thank God for that. You, you're not going to have what your parents had right away. Be patient. Don't, don't go out and get you a big car payment if you don't own a house. And all God's people said, Amen. I had a kid one time, he was like 22, he said, you know, I really want to get married and have a family and stuff, and, and he went out and bought him like a $45,000 truck, and, uh, and, and he called me up and he told me about it, and I said, I said you just bought a, tr a new truck? He said, yeah, he said, I prayed about it. <laughs> I, said, I said, I don't know who you were praying to, but there was no answer that came back on that one. You weren't asking God, you were telling God. But it's a great deal. I say 5,000. No, you spent 45,000. I don't know where saving you got off. You lost five when you left the lot. <laughs> anyway, I got me worked up. He's like, it's only $700 a month payments. I'm like, you're an idiot. You know what he, you know what he told me about two months later? He's like, I'm an idiot. You know, I, said, I shouldn't say that from point, but he said that. I said, yes, you are. Yes, you are. Idiot decision anyway. So uh, be wise. Young people, you need to know that if you're a young person. And so uh, this, this church was faithful, faithful to give to the Lord in those situations. Thirdly, the Macedonian church gave sacrificially. Look at verse 3. It says, for their power, and that word just means their ability. 
I bear record or I bear testimony, yea, and beyond their power or ability, they were willing of themselves. These, these Christians gave beyond what they were able to do, in other words. The idea is that they didn't just give what they could. They, they went past what it would seem that they would be able to do. Uh, they, they went beyond what was rationally calculated. When they crunched the numbers, their generosity was beyond logic. Uh, they saw the need and they placed the need of those in Jerusalem as higher of a priority than themselves. Now, this is not talking about like weekly giving. This is talking about there was, a one, there was a big love offering being taken up. So you don't want to be where it's like, you know what, I'm living in the red every week to give and I don't care, I'm going to trust God. That's not the idea. The idea is they were in a place where they're like, we're giving more than we have right now. We know we're, it's, but they're, they're making a sacrifice. So they're going to go out without for a time because they, are, they would rather themselves go without than the suffering church in Jerusalem to go without. Is that love? That's, that's love, isn't it? And so I remember a statement made by one pastor years ago. He said, there are only three kinds of Christians when it comes to missions giving. Zealous goers, zealous senders, and the disobedient. And I thought, ooh, that's, 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 that's good. Uh, there are 2.6 billion people that are unre- in unreached parts of the world that need the gospel. Today, Christians are looking for more comfort, security. Comfort and security are not bad things, but when it causes us to clench onto our lives and money instead of investing them into souls, uh, we need to think about our decisions. Nothing is wrong with having things. Nothing is uh, wrong with having nice things, but it's wrong when those things begin to have us. You know, there were wealthy people in the Bible that were godly, men like Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Job, Boaz, Solomon. The Bible uh, doesn't say having things is wrong. The Bible just warns against loving money. It's not having money that's the problem. It's loving money. 1 Timothy 6 verse 10 says, For the love of money is the root of all evil, which while some coveted after they erred from the faith, pierced themselves through with many sorrows. 1 Timothy 6 verse 17 says, Charge them that are rich in this world, that they be not high-minded, nor trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God, who giveth us richly all things to enjoy, that they do good, that they be rich in good works, ready to distribute, willing to communicate. What that is, 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 is make sure that the rich in the church there at Ephesus, he's telling Timothy, he says that they're not lifted up and thinking they're something because of their money. Their identity is not in their stuff. And when God moves, that they would be willing to distribute. You know, God gives us, and this is the interesting thing. In Ephesians chapter number four, the Bible says, Let him that stole steal no more, but rather let him work laboring with his hands. So not only that he would have to provide for himself, but he would also have to give to others that would be in need. So God promises, listen to us. The, the biblical truth teaches that if you work hard and faithful and do what the Bible says about that, that you're not a sluggard, that you're not lazy, that you're not uh, squandering your possessions, that you're not spending all your money on your wants instead of your needs, but if you're faithful with what God's given to you, he will not only give you enough, but he'll give you enough to where you'll have to give to other people, right? I can tell you most people who don't have anything to ever help anybody else out with, they're, 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 they're either not faithful in their work, they're wasting their money on things that are, that, that are un, sometimes unhealthy. Uh, you know, there's people that spend hundreds and hundreds of dollars every month on cigarettes and addictive things and other issues. And, and, and uh, 
There's, there's, there's 50,000 things I could say. My point's not to try to be in, in, in a way of legalism, but it's just saying that don't squander your, your money on things that... that it's, God doesn't want us to just be faithful with, say, a 10%. He wants to be faithful with 100%. That, that means you can go out and, 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 and the Bible says he's given us all things richly to enjoy, but understand that, that God holds us accountable for what we do with the resources that he's given to us and, and make sure that you're able to faithfully honor God with your finances. Um, they say most Christians give more to their dog food than they do to missions. That, you know, nothing wrong with taking, making sure your dog gets fed, but there is something wrong when you have more care about your dog than you do lost souls. I don't mean to offend anybody, but dogs don't have a soul. And if you want to write me a letter, I will just write you back and tell you they don't. <laughs> I'm not trying to be offensive. I'm just trying to elevate God made man in his image, not dogs. Okay, now I may have to do a series on that if you have trouble with that. No. Now look at verse number three. It says they were willing of themselves. Giving needs to be something that you're willing to do. You have to choose that as a course of action. You give willingly, voluntarily. You're not done doing. You're not giving out of compulsion, manipulation, or intimidation. Listen, that's why I don't know who gives what at Lighthouse. If you never gave, I would never know, ever. So as I go through this, just know that there's, there's, there's trustees that are a part of the church, that they take care of those things. I don't deal with any of that, okay? So uh, just understand, there, there is, your giving is between you and the Lord, and it's to be done voluntarily. I remember one time years ago, somebody said, uh, they were out canvassing and sharing the gospel around town, and they said, yes, yeah, somebody said, uh, if they come to Lighthouse, they have to sign their house over to the church. I was like, well, of course, don't you know that? No, it's crazy. And you know, some people say that stuff. You don't have to sign your house over to the church if you become a member, okay? Uh, I, you, you won't believe the crazy things that I've heard through the years. People twist things around. Uh, it's just incredible. Number four, the Macedonian church wanted to be a part of helping others in the ministry. Notice verse 4 through 6. He says, praying us with much entreaty that we would receive the gift and take upon us the fellowship of ministering to the saints. This is incredible. I mean, the Macedonian churches were literally, according to verse 4, pleading that Paul would receive their generosity. They were beggars begging Paul to take their stuff. Beggars begging to give. Let us give. Not that we have to. We want to. A.T. Robertson says, Apparently Paul had been reluctant to press the Macedonians because of their manifest poverty. They demanded the right to share in it. <laughs> As St. Christensen marveled, he said, They did the begging, not Paul. Wow. The poor ones were begging to give. Paul wasn't begging them to give. And, and, and why and how were they so generous? Why and how, how could they get to that? It's, it's verse 5. It's verse 5. Let, let's read verse 5 together. And this they did, not as we hoped, but first gave themselves to the Lord and unto us by the will of God. You know how they did it? They first gave themselves to the Lord, and the Lord did the rest. Whatever, you, you see it? Y'all heard that story about that little child, that poor child, true story of this, at least it's been passed down through the years through, through the pastors, you know, some that probably got twisted around, but, uh, but they were passing a plate and it came to a young boy and, and he didn't have anything. 
He didn't have any money to give, and he was so sad because he didn't have any money. So he put the plate on the floor, and he stood inside the offering plate. And the man came up and said, what are you doing? He says, I don't have any money, but I want to give myself to the Lord. And, and, and that's just a picture of what these Christians at Macedonia did. When you give your heart to the Lord, he takes your wallet with it. He takes your, your life with it. He takes all of you with it. Verse 6, the Corinthians had said they were going to generously give, but they had not done so yet. And Paul urges them to fulfill their commitment. And he says in verse 6, "...in so much that we desired Titus, that as he had begun, so he would finish, because you had not completed what you said." He says, "...in you the same grace also." So, so it's, it got started, but it never got finished. And, and, and he says, bring that to completion. Number five, just two points left. Look, we're moving good. Encouraging. Yeah. So look at verse number seven. The Macedonian church also grew in their giving. They grew in their giving. Verse seven, it says, therefore, as you abound in everything, in faith and utterance and knowledge and in all diligence and in your love to us, see that you abound in this grace also. You know, one of the things God desires of all of us tonight is that we would be growing in our walk with the Lord. Amen? You don't want to look back a year, two years, five years ago, and you're in the exact same place you were back then now. You should be moving forward. You should be advancing. You should be growing. Um, I always feel uh, uh, that, that God wants me as a pastor to always be growing because I can't take you where I'm not at. Right? Parents, we should feel the same way. We can't bring our kids where we haven't gone. So we need to be pressing forward, seeking the Lord, drawing near to Him. Uh, if, if you want your kids to love Christ, you fall all over in love with Christ. You want your, your, your husband to read the Word of God, you better be in the Word of God. You want your wife to read the Word of God and grow in her faith, you better be reading and praying and growing. Stop looking outside of yourself and start looking inside of yourself. problem's not out there, it's in here, amen? And you need to get diligent about that, and we need to be growing and seeking and loving and learning and... Um, one thing God desires of us is that. And, and, he, and he lists six specific areas here. He says, he says uh, therefore, as you abound in everything, and the first thing he lists is faith. Faith here is pistis in the Greek. It's, it means your trust or your belief in the Lord, your conviction in the truth. It ties together with not only an inward trust, but an outward obedience to that faith and trust. So, so grow in your trust and belief in the Lord and His Word. Secondly, utterances. He says that you grow in faith and in utterance. The word utterance there is the Greek word lagos. What English word do we get from lagos? The word. So this is speaking of the Word. This is the sound doctrine that comes out of the Word. To grow in the Word, you need to grow in your understanding of the Word. You need to be in Scripture, in doctrine. So grow in faith. And faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Lagos or Word of God. Thirdly is knowledge. This is Gnosis, G-N-O-S-I-S, uh, where agnostic is like you don't have any knowledge. Um, anyway, <laughs> it was an agnostic one time was um, talking to Spurgeon, true story, and, and Spurgeon says, you know where the word agnostic comes? And the man said, I'm an agnostic. He says, you know where that came from? It's actually from a Latin word uh, for moron. <laughs> I don't think the man really liked that, but uh, so it's gnosis. Knowledge is gnosis. This refers to functional knowledge. Uh, this is taking doctrine and doing it. Knowledge gained by experience is taking truth and applying that. So grow in your faith, 
grow in the word, and then grow in the application of that. Fourthly is all diligence. It's spude, it's, it's, it means eagerness, earnestness, zealousness. It's like giving a quick response. Now, diligence is a great word here for that. I love that word being translated that way. It's growing your spiritual diligence to obey it. It's like when the Lord says it, I want to immediately apply that. So grow in, in your... I mean, that's a whole sermon there, isn't it? Like, like when you hear the truth, we need to be diligent to obey that. Anybody ever have delayed diligence? Where it's like, you know, I know I need to get to that, but, you know, I just... Uh, and and we, need to, we need to be like, man, I need to get right now. I need to follow that now. I need to be faithful to that now. I need to follow that truth. And he says, grow in that. Grow in that passion, that zeal, that earnest and eager diligence to obey the truth. So grow in that. And then, and then number five, he says, grow in your love to us. We should have more and more love for others the older we get in our walk with the Lord. It should not be a burden for us to love God's people. The Bible says that's one of the evidences of being born again is you love the brethren. I love Lighthouse Baptist Church, man. This is my family. I, I just so love Sundays and Wednesdays. It's such a joy. And uh, I'm, I'm rather a reserved guy outside of church. I'm kind of a keep-to-myself kind of guy. I'm, I'm actually more of an introvert, uh, personally. Uh, but you don't see that here because I just kind of come out of my bubble here at the church. Uh, but I, I mean, I... If, if you see me typically, like if, you know, I'm not the guy that if I were to go on a vacation, I would just go up to strangers like, hey, what are you guys doing? You come here much? And I'm not that guy. Like, it's just not me. People do that to me, and then I'll end up telling them about Jesus, and then they probably leave sometimes. But, but I, I'm just not, some of you guys are like that. You just, raise your hand if you're like that. You're, yeah, Ben's like that. He's like, yeah, is it snow down here? And they're like, no, it's Florida. He's like, you know, get right. So, but there are some people that love that. I, I just kind of, you know, I, I find myself, but when I come to church, like, I'm that guy. And I love being around God's people. And, and you, I believe, do as well. We always have to stop you from being so greeting each other because uh, we got to go into the service when we shake hands and stuff. And sometimes it's comical because I'll be outside uh, in the hallway sometimes and, and it just takes minutes sometimes for like people to start coming out there. And I'm like, what are they doing in there? Oh, they're all talking, you know. Uh, but I've been to churches where, I mean, they just, boom, they're out the door before I could even make it to the back door. I'm like, man, you know, just quick out. And, and so thank you for loving one another. And we should grow in that love for one another. And he says, that's something that should increase. So after he lists five different areas he, look what he says at the very end. He says, see that you abound in this grace. And that grace there is a, is a synonym uh, there for uh, giving. He's saying, Grow, abound in the grace of giving also. This, this grace of giving, that, that should be increasing. And, and so I would ask you, are you growing in your knowledge of the word? In your love for others? Are you growing in your diligence to obey it? You know, God places giving on par with those other things as well. You'd be growing in those other five, but if you're not growing in giving, they don't make up for that. We need to be growing in all those areas. Uh, grow in your giving. Don't remain neutral. Every year, we've always continued to give more than we gave and just continue to increase that and at some level. Give more to, to, to whatever things that God has laid on your heart to give to. And, and if you've not begun to give faithfully, start somewhere. Start somewhere. Start with something. 
give to something, begin to give. I, I always, you know, the, the general giving to the church is the first place to start. Uh, you don't want to first give to missions before you give to the local church. Because if you give to missions before the local church, if nobody gives to the local church, we're not going to have lights next week. Does that make sense? It's like America sending money over to help Ukraine. It's like if you can't support your own cities, you might want to start at home before you give that over, right? So but, uh, there's some rabbit trails. I'm pulling myself back right now. Maybe take the $14 billion you were going to give to the IRS and pump into them so they can chase all of us down to see if there's any more money they can squeeze out and put that back into some other things. Amen? Anyway, good night, nurse. Ridiculous. Do we really? So, number six. I don't even want to get down. Let's be spiritual tonight. Number six. Uh, look at verse number eight. Last couple of verses here. Uh, the Macedonian church evidenced their love in their giving. And that's so true. Verse 8, he says, I speak not by commandment. He's, he's, he, what he's saying is, this is not something I'm commanding you to do. That, I don't believe tithing is commanded in the New Testament. I believe tithing is a standard of giving all through the Bible. I personally think it's a great starting point. But we need to go past that. But, but it's a principle laid out in Scripture. People say, well, they gave under the law. Well, they did give under the law, but they actually gave before the law. Tithing came up, and it just means that it's an Anglo-Saxon word that means a tenth. But it started with Abraham. He gave a tenth of all to the Lord. Then, his, 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 uh, uh, then Jacob did the same thing. His grandson, he gave a tenth of all to the Lord. That was before the law or any of that came about. Moses wasn't born. That was hundreds of years later. They gave in the law, and they gave after the law was broken. Jesus reaffirmed uh, that, that giving was, was good to do in Matthew 23. Uh, they were giving tithes of mint, anise, and rue, and cumin, and all these little things. He says, but you forgot the weightier matters of the law, faith, mer faith mercy, and love. Uh, he says, those things are good to do, but don't leave the others undone. So, uh, but, but I think tithing is a, is a wonderful principle to apply in your life. Uh, it, it's a tenth represents the whole is the idea there. But they, uh, he says, I give this not by commandment, I'm not commanding this of you, but by occasion of the forwardness of others. Uh, what he's saying is, I'm testing how genuine your love is by comparing it with the eagerness of other churches. I'm testing your love by comparing it to the eagerness of these other churches to see if you have the same kind of love they have. <laughs> And says, and to prove the sincerity of your love. Anybody want to have their giving compared to the Macedonians? Anybody want to get to heaven? It's like, you know, you're, you're going to be going through the Bema seat judgment, the, the judgment seat of Christ, and you're like, oh man, they got some of these Macedonian Christians in front of me. Doesn't anybody, why don't you go in front of me over here? You know? <laughs> I'll go right after that guy. And uh, that's, that's but, but you know what, you should ha live in such a way that you would say, you know what, I, I'm looking forward to the day I can stand before God and worship him for what he allowed me to do through his grace. So for Paul, giving was an evidence of love. Jesus taught money was attached to our hearts. In Matthew 6, 21, he says, where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. There will your heart be also. If you love someone, money naturally goes to the care of that. And, and you see that with anything. I mean, if somebody loves hunting, they're spending money on their hunting stuff. Somebody loves golf, they're spending money on golf, right? 
They love vehicles. They're buying their vehicles. And, and, it's, it, and nothing in itself is wrong in that. But, but if you love people, then you're going to invest in them. And listen, it takes money to reach this world with the gospel. It takes money to send missionaries. And I praise God that the Lord has helped us to grow in our giving, this church. You know, we've already given year to date uh, right, at, right under 50,000 more this year than last year to missions. It's an incredible. We, we've grown by a third just this year in giving in that. Like 150, over 150,000 we've sent out this year to foreign missions. That's incredible. I remember back in 2018, our goal was 36,000. You see, that, that's why when the church, the mother grows, then you can become a radical giver. You can, does that make sense? As, as you build the church body, then you can begin to be able to really send out. And it's, it's just, praise God for that. And it's all the grace of God, isn't it? I mean, it's not us. It's, it's God doing something in us. And as we all come together as a collective whole, we're able to do a lot more. And we praise God for that. What a joy. You know, and I would say this, when I came here, uh, there were 15 churches that supported me. There were um, about a half dozen individuals. You know, there were little widows in Chillicothe sending money here. When I started the church here, we only had eight people. We didn't have money to start a church, so we needed support. I didn't work a secular job. The ministry took full time to, to grow the thing and to minister, so, so we jumped in, and, and that's what we did. And, and there are people that you will never meet that this church is here today because they helped fund it. Do you think they could look back and say, you know what? They could have spent that money on other things. But do you think that was a good investment? Was, was that using money that says, you know what? There's, there's souls being saved. Some of those saints are in heaven today. I remember one man in his 90s. We, we didn't have carpet on the other side for like a half year. I preached on a stage. We had no carpet. And in the sanctuary, had no carpet. It was just nasty. So uh, we had tore up the tile. It was probably asbestos. I shouldn't say that out loud, but I mean, I know it wasn't, but uh, it, it was just, it was just rough. And we just had nothing. And, and if you go to a church, it's all fancy and nice. Most of those pastors have no idea. They just jump sometimes from these churches. But when you start a church, you don't have anything, like nothing. We, we the, the, the tile we took off the ceiling and spray painted because they were so water stained and put them back up. Why didn't you buy a new tile? Because we didn't have any money. We, we, we got lights from an old Sears building and, and put them in because we didn't have any money. We, we, we were calling up all these companies. Hey, you have any leftover material? Lowe's donated a bunch of torn up drywall and we hung that. Not only is drywall hard when you have good boards, but it was even more challenging. I mean, we, it was just every single thing we could do. We, we did that first section of 7,700 feet uh, addition. We, we renovated that at $15 a square foot. The second phase, which we did at a commercial grade level, was at $25 a square foot. You go ask any builder what that would be today, and you're in the hundreds. Insane, but it was great sacrifice. You just need to understand there's a lot of blood, sweat, literal blood, sweat, and tears that went in to allow us to sit in this room right now. And, 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 and praise God for those sacrifices of those people. And, and, and that's, that's what it takes, though. It takes people to say, you know what, willing to give, willing to... And, and Lighthouse is continuing to grow. You know, last month was a record month. We averaged 659 people uh, in service last month, not counting the big day. And so the church is continuing to grow. We're going to have to build on to this building.
that's going to come. And, and as we look toward the future, uh, we're looking to pay off the, the entire church debt by the end of next year. Praise the Lord. I think we can do it before the end of next year. But there's going to be sacrificial giving that will go in because I believe what God has in store for the future of this church is so much bigger than what we've even begun to see. And so let me give you, I do have one more point. Yes, there's always that one point. Seven, very quickly. The Macedonian church, lastly, followed the example of Jesus Christ. Look at verse number nine. He says, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus. Remember, grace has been carrying the idea of giving the whole way through. For you know the grace, the giving nature of our Lord Jesus Christ. And what was his grace? Yet, though he was rich. And do you know God is rich? You know Jesus is rich. The Bible says in Psalms 24, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. Haggai 2.8 says, the silver is mine, the gold is mine, saith the Lord. Yet though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor. Sounds like the Macedonian church, wasn't it? That you through his poverty might be rich. We, we have a God who was willing to become poor, took our sin, died on the cross. His physical life was harder than any of ours. So the next time we feel unthankful with some ingratitude or discontentment, we need to look on the Lord Jesus Christ and say, should the servant be greater than his Lord? Jesus told the impoverished believers at Smyrna who were enduring great persecution, he says, I know thy works in tribulation and poverty, but thou art rich. If you're a Christian, you are wealthy. You're, well, you're a child of the king. You are wealthy beyond your imagination. You're more wealthy to be a child of God than you would be if you were a child of Bill Gates or uh, any of those other guys. You have an inheritance in heaven. Uh, you, you are a child of the king. And so just understand, this is, the, this is the poorest physically you'll ever be. And we got it pretty good, amen? We usually have more food than we need, and we have more stuff than we need. And so praise God that we have such a gracious God. Jesus made great personal sacrifice to bring us the gospel, and we need to be the same way with others. Warren Wiersbe said, to give is to be Christ-like for his whole life was spent in giving. And my prayer, friends, is that we would be a Macedonian church. And that starts with us being Macedonian Christians ourselves. I would encourage you this week, spend some time reading 2 Corinthians 8 and 9. Uh, meditate on those things. Because Jesus said there's one thing that competes with lordship in our life for the throne, and it's money. Matthew chapter 6. So let's not allow that to take control of our hearts. Amen.